CDC recommends everyone six months and older get an updated COVID-19 vaccine to protect against the potentially serious outcomes of COVID-19 illness this winter. To find COVID-19 vaccine locations near you, text your zip code to 438-829, call 1-800-232-0233, or go to wjffradio.org, where you'll find a vaccine locator and COVID tracker. Radio Catskill, keeping you connected. Angela Page again here from Folk Plus. For this last week while I'm out, Matt Bio will be returning to the airwaves during Folk Plus. Listen to some of the songs he loves and plays at his local station, WERU, in Maine. So that's Sunday at 4, Matt Bio, filling in one last time for me on Folk Plus. I hope you'll tune in. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Farm Arts Collective, located on Willow Wisp Organic Farm in Damascus, Pennsylvania. Farm Arts Collective's programs intersect the practices of farming, performance, food, and ecology. FarmArtsCollective.org From the Community Foundation of Orange and Sullivan, a publicly supported philanthropic institution, CFOSNY.org. And from listeners like you, who donate at WJFFRadio.org. And Travels with Triggs is back. We are talking with Sullivan County writer Busy Coy. And I have a few questions, quicker questions this time, Busy. First thing I've always wanted to ask you in all the years we've known each other, Busy, the name Busy, explain it to me. So my my given name is Elizabeth. And when I was born, I have an older brother who's about three years old when I was born. And he couldn't pronounce the L in Elizabeth, so he would say Bizabeth. And my parents thought that was cute, so they all started calling me Biz. And then at some point it got lengthened to Busy, and it really just stuck permanently. And I remember being in kindergarten, like the first day of kindergarten, and they called attendance, and they said, Elizabeth Coy, and I raised my hand, and I said, actually, it's Busy. And I've been stuck with it ever since. Well, I think it's a great name. Thank you. I like it. It makes it very easy for me to, you know, get the email address and social media accounts that I want because nobody else seems to have this exact name. And, you know, there's that that euphemism, getting busy. So I think that's kind of saucy. Uh, (laughs) Next question. You have been published in The New Yorker. How did it feel to know that that was happening and that you'd accomplished that milestone that so many writers aspire to. That was a really wonderful and sort of game-changing moment for me. Not only because of the acceptance that I got in my email inbox, which, you know, you just stare at and you go, really? Huh? Me? Her? And I believe that was in 2016. But it also represented for me the success of figuring out this certain style of writing that I was working on, which was these short humorous pieces, which have a very distinct tone and structure. And if you read them in places like uh, Shouts and Murmurs or McSweeney's Internet Tendency, or there's lots of other sites that now have these short humor pieces, um, they are their own little form. And I felt like, oh my gosh, I really figured it out. I hit the nail on the head in a way I 
never would have thought that I did. And that just felt good to figure it out and go, I did. I figured it out. And then to get the, the email from my, you know, you submit your submissions over email and you get a rejection or in this case, an acceptance. I believe I got that email right before I was taking a long drive. It was like a four and a half hour drive. So the whole drive in my car, I was just like, busy coy, New Yorker. Wow. I was just, I was just over the moon and I'm still over the moon about it. I still can't believe uh, that that happened. It was, it was such a trying to think of the right adjective. It was a very validating moment for me. That's wonderful. I'm sick with envy. And (laughs) the other thing that actually one of the first ways I met you is within your humor writing or the essays you write, you sometimes perform them and do so in a group that we're both in called Yarn Slingers, which will be a next appearing on Sunday, March 24th at 11 a.m. at Seminary Hill Cidery uh, with the theme Madness for that performance. How does the fact that you sometimes read your own work affect your choices and how do you approach performing your own writing? Another excellent question. It's interesting because when you say, oh, busy, you sometimes perform your writing. My instinct is to say, no, I just read it. It doesn't occur to me that I do get a little performy when I get up to that microphone. Yes, but not in an off-putting way or not in a way that feels artificial or manipulated. Well, thanks uh, for clarifying that. Well, no, no I, I think didn't it's an important distinction way. because, you know, sometimes you just see people and you think, oh, what a hack. But I, I certainly don't feel that way about you. I'm just curious well, about your approach to those variables. I think, uh, I think it sort of comes out inadvertently, honestly. Um, and that I think has to do with my own theatrical background. Uh, my undergraduate degree was in theater and I didn't aspire to be a performer professionally. I was in more of a directing track because I like to tell people what to do, but I did do my share of performing in high school musicals and college musicals and, singing in choirs and that kind of thing growing up, which I loved and which was sort of my first creative passion before the writing got in the way. So when when you and I are at a Yarn Slingers event where we're reading um, true stories aloud in front of an audience, I think something just happens where I just get into it and... Yeah, I don't I don't rehearse in that way or or plan really um how I'm going to perform a particular piece. I mean, I will I will practice just to make sure I have all the the words right and I there's not anything I'm particularly stumbling over. But I do think for yarn slingers sometimes about you know, if it is going to be read aloud, is there a way I can make it more engaging for a live audience? We just had a reading at Seminary Hill last month and I thought there was an opportunity to put a little sound effect in my piece, which was really just the sound of windshield wipers that go throughout the piece. And I thought, oh, that, you know, if I was just going to post this or share it in text, I don't know that that would have occurred to me. But I thought, oh, that's a that is an old one of the oldest storytelling tricks in the book is to have a recurring little catchphrase or a sound that comes, you know, throughout the story that you start with and 
weave it through the middle and um, bring it through to the end. And hopefully the meaning of the sound effect or the catchphrase or whatever it is changes in some way from start to finish. So that was that I don't think that would have happened without the opportunity of a yarn slingers event and a, and a microphone and a live audience. I think it's such a gift to be in front of an audience reacting to what you have written, right? I think it helps inform the more static experience of reading for the reader. And one of the things that I love about writing humor, which is something we share, is sometimes it also comes down to how the joke looks on the page the 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 way the paragraphs are lined up or long sentence long sentence long sentence short comment back into the structure that type of thing do you have similar approaches yeah i totally agree that there's there's ways things look on the page and then there's ways that things sound in front of an audience that change the way i write and when I was first getting into writing short humor pieces, even before Yarn Slingers came into my life, um, there are little tricks you pick up along the way, as you're saying. One of my favorites is making sure that the funniest word in your sentence um, comes at the end of the sentence, which might seem obvious, but um, it becomes even more glaringly obvious when you're reading in front of an audience and you get to the middle of a sentence and there's something funny and the audience laughs. And then it derails the whole remainder of the sentence. So uh, performing at Yarn Slingers has certainly helped me tighten up those skills, making sure that the laugh breaks come at the right moment so that the audience never misses anything, but they always feel like they know the right time to laugh. Much like I would assume a stand-up comedian learns from the audience, where do they want to laugh? How can I help them have that experience instead of getting in their way? And hopefully your technique becomes so ingrained that you no longer have to think about it. You know, it just becomes part of the discipline. Maybe someday. <laughs> so as we're wrapping up, because this is only a half hour show, uh, if there were three words that just pop into your mind that describe you as a writer within the myriad of words that could, what are three of the first words that you would either use or hope that your audience would use to describe your writing? The first word that comes to mind is uh, warm. I hope that people find my work warm in a way that they are welcomed in and find something to chuckle about. Another word Smart, I hope, is a word that comes to mind. I try very hard to be clever in my writing and to craft it in a way that is interesting. I hope people think it's smart. That's it. I only have two words. You have to have a third. I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm going to oh. put my, foot down, my, my radio foot down. Third would be exasperated. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, both at this question and at the all the wild things there are in the world to poke fun at and investigate and tear apart and laugh at. Um, often I think I'm a little exasperated in my writing. And then the last question would just be, what's your next goal? What are you hoping to accomplish with your writing next? Well, I have a lot of projects in the works. I hope one of them comes to fruition in a more public way 
I write a lot of things that don't see the light of day or are only seen by a small group of people. And I hope at some point in the next, I don't know, five years, I've got something that's publication worthy, perhaps a longer form project like my book or some of my other projects. But really, at the end of the day, I hope I just continue to keep up the habit of writing and participating in our local creative community, which is a really wonderful and special place. Well, I think that's a wonderful way to end this interview. Thank you for your time, your writing, sharing your talent, and for appearing on Travels with Triggs. My pleasure. Travels with Travels with Travels with Triggs. Who's he gonna talk to now? What's he gonna talk about? Where are we gonna go? Travels with Triggs. Last year, over 100,000 people died from drug overdoses driven by fentanyl. And the fastest growing group is under 19. Fentanyl is the number one cause of overdose in Sullivan County. Whether you're a parent or an educator, you can have the right conversation now to potentially save a kid's life. Protect kids from the dangers of fentanyl. More information and resources at naturalhigh.org. Paid for by Catholic Charities of Orange, Sullivan, and Ulster. Hi, this is Jeff, your host on Radio Catskill's new show, Electric Mountain. I play the best of dance music from back in the day to today, and every week I'll feature a guest DJ spinning a continuous set bringing their unique style. Come dance with us on Electric Mountain each and every Saturday night, 12 to 2, exclusively on Radio Catskill. Listen local. There's always a story behind the music, how the song was written, why the song was written. I'm Kathy Geary. Join me for Now and Then, Now and Then, Saturday afternoons at 3 on Radio Catskill. Listen local. Hello, everybody. It is Travels with Triggs. I am your host. As you know, sometimes we go around the world and other times we stay in our own backyard. Today's episode, we're going to be talking to local Sullivan County writer Busy Coy on Travels with Triggs. Travels with Travels with Travels with Triggs. Who's he gonna talk to now? What's he gonna talk about? Where are we gonna go? And we're back. Hello, Busy. Say hi to everybody. Hi. Hi, Greg. Hi, everyone. And Busy, you know, I want to talk today about writing as a concept and practically. So just to bring everyone up to speed, you have a very unusual uh, mix of writing in that you write theatrically, but you also write narratively. So why don't you clue everyone into how you see yourself as a writer? Well, that's such a big question. That's like trying to identify my, my whole, my whole deal, which is, uh, which is a big ask for a first question. But um, you know what, Busy, with younger performers or creative people, I always tell them, you have to be prepared to tell me how you see yourself 
for the world to see you that way. So I think you're up to the challenge. Very interesting. Well, with that lens on it, you know, I, I have in the past, I think, tried too much to identify what is my niche? What is my specific genre, my form? What is my special sauce as a writer? And I think the older that I get, the more comfortable I get with the fact that, as Walt Whitman said, I contain multitudes and I write all sorts of different things as you began to list. Um, for my income to earn a living, I do copywriting for advertising and marketing for Broadway shows, uh, nonprofit theater venues, and other entertainment clients. And I love doing that. That to me is a form of my writing. And then I also write short humor, which has been published in places like The New Yorker and McSweeney's in those columns that have, you know, a short, funny little humorous insight about something hopefully relatable in the world. And I love to do that. Um, and then I do like to write in a scripting format, whether that's for theater on the stage, stage plays, or for more of film and TV projects, which are more screenplay based. Um, I've never produced anything uh, that's been widely available in terms of screen or stage plays, but it is a format that I really like and really fits with my sensibility. So I continue to write in that format. Um, even if those projects never go on to become produced as a piece of writing, I find them very satisfying. Um, so I do a few different things and it's hard to, it's hard to hone in on which one, uh, is my, my favorite form of writing, but it's a little bit of everything. And I like to allow myself that freedom. I think that's wise. So you are verse, as we say in some communities. Um, <laughs> now, when you write theatrically, how would you describe your approach? Is it humorous? Is it serious? Is it a combination? Uh, what is, is there a unifying point of view? In writing theatrically, that's one of the few times I actually write collaboratively. Um, I partner with uh, a couple of lovely gents in New York City, uh, Scott and Tim of No Hope Productions, which is sort of an off the beaten path, off, 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 under Broadway. Sounds bleak. <laughs> it is very bleak, theatrical collective. Um, and when we collaborate, we tend to write dark little musicals or short vignettes that have music in them. Um, that are often pulled from the headlines. We often share with each other weird news stories that we see or hear. Um, and we go, oh my gosh, that's so bleak and dark and strange. Don't you think we could write a little musical about it? And then we'll get together and, uh, we'll, we'll collaborate writing book and lyrics and music. Um, so that's really the only time that I collaborate with other writers in the, in the process and, that sets it apart for me and makes it really fun and interesting. What does collaboration versus solo effort do to inform or change your approach? That's a great question. I can be very stubborn as a writer. Sometimes I very clearly see what I want. And even if it's wrong, even if the feedback I get is oh, this doesn't work. I don't get what you're going for. I go, no, this is how I see it. And I just have to follow through with that. 
And when I work collaboratively in um, these theatrical endeavors, it is a true challenge to let go of that ego and to say, okay, we all are bringing something to the table here. And maybe the way I envision it is not the only solution to this creative problem. Maybe there are five, 10, 20 solutions and I can be open to them. And just having practice in that definitely bleeds over into my, my solo writing endeavors. Because then when I do get stuck, when I get the inevitable writer's block, or I don't know what happens next in writing a story, it's a little bit more within reach to say, okay, there's maybe five or 10 or 20 other ways that this could go. Don't get so stuck in your own head, your own ego, your own belief that you know exactly how this should turn out. Let yourself go down another path. Imagine almost, sometimes I do imagine, what if somebody else was writing this? How would they solve this problem? And sometimes that gets me out of my head enough to to uh, to find a solution. One of my best friends, when I first started writing novels, I hit a wall and he told me I was getting in the way of the story and that if I shut up, the story would tell me where it needed to go. And sometimes I have to impose my will, but other times I just need to quiet down for the best path to reveal itself. That resonates so much with me. Um, I think that's a lesson I'm still continuing to learn and will probably learn the rest of my life. Um, yeah, it's not always a destination, right? It, it's, yeah. it's You learn variations on the same lesson over and over and over again. So absolutely true. And and I I wrote a novel too in the past few years and really hit my head against the wall in a way that I never had before because I did have an idea of how it should go and where it should go. And as soon as I released myself from that, I could allow myself to let the characters drive a little more, let the story unfold instead of being prescribed. And all of a sudden, things just blossomed um, in a really interesting way, in a way I never could have predicted or outlined or planned for. And that was a real gift. And it was very hard. It was very hard to do that. But yeah, that that lesson was well learned, at least for that project. Well, and it's interesting, right? You have copywriting, you have marketing writing. I write for Disney. And when you have that blessing of something commercial that allows you to do the crunches or exercise the skill and provide for the opportunity for you to write things that are more personal, it's one skill that has to be approached in different ways. As you say, there are times when I I don't want to hear what you expect. This is the time I get to not worry about whether or not the dialogue is appropriate for Mickey Mouse or true to Mary Poppins. It gets to be the world I'm creating. I totally agree with that. And I think that's one of the reasons sometimes I do find more comfort in the world of marketing and advertising writing is because there are strict parameters and there is a goal you're trying to achieve and there are rules to follow. And therefore, for me anyway, it's easier to operate within those confines versus when you're writing fiction, it could be literally anything. 
It could be so many things. And that to me can sometimes be overwhelming. In your marketing and advertising writing, what is something or some project or some aspect of it that makes you feel especially proud? I always enjoy the brevity with which I can write. I love an assignment that is give us three words or give us one headline that encapsulates this whole event or this whole concept or whatever it might be. I really love the brevity of it. And while it serves me really well in copywriting, when writing my book or other longer form things like a full length feature length screenplay or stage musical, I often find myself at a loss for words because I condense things so easily and that's my sweet spot. And then I go, oh, I really needed about another 30,000 words for this to be a full novel. So in that way, my my brevity skill can sometimes bite me. But I do still think it's a skill I'd rather have than than being too verbose. I don't know what I would do if I had that problem. Well, and one of the best writing teachers I ever had said that the ultimate luxury as a writer is to be able to put your project away for a while to Mm. get perspective on it. And that's one thing that I've loved about writing both of my novels is I was able to set them aside for a while before I turned them in to find the areas that were unnecessary or beef up the thoughts that I thought needed more incubation. And that the idea of just space from a project is I feel is so undervalued in our like current creative economy where everything is about now, 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 make content, post content, share things frequently, share things daily, make things all the time, always be creating. And so much stuff does need that time to incubate. And I look back at my old pieces or pieces that I've put in the drawer to wait to look at again. And I go, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I didn't show this to anybody. Or, oh my gosh, I see now so glaringly the issues and the mistakes and the the ways to fix things. And um, I'm an impatient person, so I never want to put something away. I want to get it out quickly, but I'm always glad when I did put it away. It always yields benefits. I also think that writers of our generation, can you imagine back when it was carbon paper or you had to make all of your changes manually? And so now I just read things understanding that I am going to feel differently about what I have written in the future because I'm a different person. Writing has evolved. The marketplace has evolved. Storytelling has evolved. I look back at almost everything I've ever done with with a look of shame. I, even if it was something that was successful or, you know, still holds up, it is amazing how quickly your own tastes change, even when it comes to your own work. Well, and that I'll is look a back- really good segue, Busy, because I assume our audience's tastes are going to change during this brief break because Travels with Triggs will be right back. Travels with Travels with Travels with Triggs. Radio Catskill supporters include Sullivan Catskills Visitors Association, SullivanCatskills.com, Catskill Brewery, brewing ales, lagers, and mixed fermentation beers in a LEED Gold certified building, plus a food truck and beer garden at exit 96 off Route 17 in Livingston Manor. 
CatskillBrewery.com. And listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org. NPR News and this member station are here for you no matter what. Thanks for your support and for making what we do possible. Thank you for listening to WJFF Radio Catskill. Support the news, information, and entertainment your friends and neighbors rely on. Go to WJFFRadio.org. Thank you for all the ways you help WJFF Radio Catskill. Your support sustains the news, music, and local voices that make up WJFF. It's only possible because of your generosity. Help keep it going. Consider signing up to be a sound supporter to make sure Radio Catskill has your constant support. Go to WJFFRadio.org. And thank you for supporting public radio in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm Meg Wallitzer, and on this week's Selected Shorts, hear the famous story that inspired the Hollywood classic All About Eve. Sunday night at 7 on Radio Catskill. We are proud, proud to serve, to serve our country, to serve our local communities, to wear the uniform, to be a soldier. To sail abroad when and where duty calls. We are ready to stand with our brothers and sisters to defend, to serve, to fight. We're always ready. We're always there. We are the New York Army National Guard. Sponsored by the New York Army National Guard. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. This is Radio Catskill. Public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Listen local.